Welcome to another episode of the Black Menaces Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Bird, and I'm here with somebody a little bit different this week. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, somebody different. I'm Sebastian. Um, you know me, I'm Sebastian, and I'm here in place of Rachel just for the ability that I have to be here. So I'm happy to be here with y'all. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows Sebastian. He's the he's the cute one in the boy band. The right? cute one. In the group. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got our guest. We got our guest, Josh Wallace. Josh, say hello to the people real quick. What's up, fam? Josh Wallace over here. I'm really happy to be here. Really excited for this uh, opportunity to speak. Absolutely. Yeah, we're looking forward to interviewing you, talking a little bit about your experience. We actually connected with Josh via Instagram earlier this week. Um, And so, yeah, we're looking forward to interviewing him. But before we do, you know what it is. We got our menace moment. Uh, And this week, since it is still Pride Month and since, you know, we love people of color over here, we're going to do the man, the myth, the legend, the queen, RuPaul. Um, so RuPaul has won Critics Choice Awards, Billboard Music Awards, and Tony Awards, and is the most awarded POC Primetime Emmy winner with 12 Emmys. Um, as the most commercially successful drag queen of all time, and probably the most famous drag queen in the world, uh, he's been dubbed the Queen of Drag. Uh, born November 17th, 1960, RuPaul Andre Charles was born and raised in San Diego, although his parents, Ernestine and Irving, were both from Louisiana. He was named by his mother, uh, Rue, coming from the French word Rue, a base, which is a base for many Creole dishes and stews like gumbo and, and other things. Um, he moved to Atlanta when he was 15 years old, where he studied performing arts. Uh, and he worked at the Plaza Theater and had several small media appearances, most notably being a background dancer in the music video for the song Love Shack in 1989. We all know that one. <laughs> Love, Shack, Love Shack. So he's a dancer in there somewhere. So I got to go back. I got to go back and watch that. Um, And let's see here. So after that, he settled in New York and he became a very popular fixture in the LGBT club scene up there. And this is in like the the 90s, um, early 2000s. But he achieved international fame as a drag queen with the release of his debut single, Supermodel, You Better Work, which was included on his debut studio album, Supermodel of the World in 1993. Um, He also became a spokesperson for Mac Cosmetics in 1994 and raised money for the M, uh, for the the Mac AIDS fund um, and became the first drag queen to land a major cosmetics campaign. He also later received his own talk show on VH1 called The RuPaul Show, which he hosted for over 100 episodes, including icons like Cher, Diana Ross, and Lil' Kim over its tenure. Um, he also talked about, uh, he, it, was, it had a lot of comedy skits on it, and then it also was noted for discussing topics such as Black empowerment, female empowerment, misogyny and liberal politics um, which was very unusual for the time like basically all the things that gen z loves to talk about now uh (laughs) was not popular in the 90s as you could imagine right so um rupaul was talking about these things on vh1 in the 90s which is a big deal Uh, so he's very notable for that and kind of ahead of his time uh rupaul's drag race which we all know uh, was created in 2009 and has been on international has been an international success for 15 seasons and counting um and that's what's won him 12 emmys um and it has produced several spinoffs and variants of the show that are broadcast around the world. Uh, some of them like RuPaul's All-Stars and Celeb- Celeb- Secret Celebrity Drag Race. I should have written them down, but I didn't. Um, there's a few different ones. He's also one of Time Magazine's top 100 influential people in 2007. I'm sorry, 2017. Um, and then, you know, there's a little bit of controversy surrounding him. There was like some environmental stuff where I guess people were mad that he um, like allowed oil companies to mine oil on his land or something like that. Um, hmm. People were upset about that. People would be upset about anything. Um, and, but then there was also 
He came under fire, and I wanted to bring this up because it's important. Um, he came under fire for some discriminatory, discriminatory remarks and actions towards the transgender community um, on his show Drag Race. He just makes some comments like, you know, if someone who's fully transitioned probably won't be allowed on the show, stuff like that. Uh, but the reason I want to bring that up is because he actually apologized for those comments and for the hurt that they caused. And then since then, he has allowed several transgender individuals to participate in the show and to compete on Drag Race. Um, so I thought that was a, a cool example of how a celebrity should apologize and make amends. Because it seems like celebrities always want to be like, I'm sorry if this offended you or right. if you felt any offense. If? That was not my intent. Like, man, shut up. Like, just apologize and move forward. Right. So um, I like that he did that. And then by pioneering queer res representation on television, many believe RuPaul to have essentially revolutionized the portrayal of the LGBTQ plus community on screen. So that is the nope. king slash queen RuPaul. Dope, 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 dope. Yeah, that's the minutes moment for this week. But yeah, I've, you know, I've wanted to learn more about RuPaul for a minute. And so I love doing these minutes moments because we always get to learn a little bit something new about people. Like I never would have learned about, I can never remember her name, but the first Indian woman in space, I did her. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Uh, like a few weeks ago and did Pat's Patty, Patty Mink. I think that was her name. Patsy Mink. I did her last week. First woman of color elected to Congress. So it's, it's cool mm -hmm. to be able to like take this space and learn about that too. So yeah. while y'all are learning, while y'all are learning, I'm also learning. Yeah. My wife's going to be happy because she freaking loves RuPaul. Oh, for every real? Every week. Every week she's watching. Yeah. That's so. Well, you have to she's tell her to listen to, to this episode. Good stuff. Good stuff. She's going to be fiending for the first five minutes. <laughs> well, we started off on a good note. Cool. Yeah. Well, Josh, you want to introduce yourself, man? And, uh, you know, we, we connected with you earlier this week on Instagram. You made a comment on one of our posts. Um, just like talking about how you... It was actually one of our, our podcast interviewees from last week, Kimberly Teeter. We interviewed her. She's a, a psychologist here in Utah. And uh, she... Uh, in the, the clip that we posted, it was about an experience that she'd had with a transracial adoptee here in Utah. And then you made a comment saying that that you had uh, grown up as a transracial adoptee and you'd had some interesting experiences. Um, and so I saw that and I was like, oh, man, we got to have this dude on the podcast to share his experiences, because that's something that we really want to highlight. It's um, it's very prevalent in Utah mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. it's starting to become more prevalent like nationwide for mm -hmm. for kids of another race to be adopted into a family of a different race. And so I think that's something that's important to talk about. Um, as it becomes more common. So you just kind of want to you know, introduce yourself, tell us a little, little bit about what you do, where you're from, all that good stuff. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, first, thanks for having me on here. Like, I, I discovered you guys uh, probably like maybe six months ago. Oh, okay. so very, wow. very recent. Yeah. It's, and, uh, <laughs> it's been, uh, it's been great. I, I love seeing y'all just going around campus and like, asking people like you know who this picture is or like rosa parks or like nelson mandela and like nobody knows i think it's so funny but it's also like kind of sad <laughs> yes yeah yeah for um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyways um so yeah hello everybody my name is josh wallace i am at the ripe old age of 30 years old um i am from southern california currently living in los angeles Okay, Born okay. and raised out here. Um, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, I was born and raised in the church. Um, I was actually adopted through the church services, hmm, uh, okay. the LDS social services. And um, yeah, I grew up here in Southern California. Um, currently, I am a uh, full-time sound 
editor um, out here in Burbank, and I do all of the sound for TV and film, oh, which nice. is a lot of fun. So nice. I get so to good. yeah, I get to see the whole show before everybody else does, and I get Dang. to make it, and I'm on the mix stage and stuff, and I get to run into celebrities like RuPaul, which is kind of cool. So um, wow. Uh, I comes full I'm, circle, right? Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> sweet. It's pretty sweet. Um, I'm married. Uh, my wife and I just celebrated six years married in March. We have two oh, little kitty cats. Congratulations! Thank you very much. Um, and uh, I mean, technically, like we're both adopted. My wife's adopted as well. As well. Oh wow! Um, and yeah, we have a pretty cool adoption story. And I actually asked her on a date just to talk about adoption together, and then we ended up falling in love. So, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I went to, I went to Hawaii. I did my undergrad there. Uh, studied music, and then I got my master's degree at Berkeley College of Music. Um, and wow. in Valencia, Spain. So uh, I lived out there for a little bit. And then, yeah, now I'm in LA. So that's a little bit about me. I love that. Wow, that's crazy. I got to say, I was not expecting you to say you were 30 years old. I was expecting a cool, like, 23, 24. Damn, you know, <laughs> I, I feel it in my heart. But especially as a late, I've been feeling it in my body. I'm freaking 30. Really? <laughs> it's getting a little more difficult. I, yeah, it's like, I, I wake up and my back hurts. It just started like this week. And I'm like, wow. I, I tried to go surfing a couple weeks ago. And I was like, yo, I need to go more often because I get out of shape a lot quicker now. So wow. tough. But so that, thank you for the compliment. I really appreciate it. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Uh, so, so just kind of jump into your story. Tell us a little bit about, like, how you were adopted, and and then, you know, like what it was like growing up in in your in your family. Yeah. Um. So, uh, my adoption story is well. I'd I'd like to preface all my remarks today with just kind of like a not like a disclaimer, but like, um. Adoption is a really beautiful thing, mm -hmm. um, but it's also a really difficult thing to navigate. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, some of the experiences that I share, I'm not doing them to like call people out for like being bad. It's yeah. more just to, you know, tell my, tell what happens to me. Right. So other people can relate and recognize if they're if they are in a similar situation that it's okay to you know recognize these good things that happen and also these bad things that happen mm -hmm. and to you know just see them as they are because for a long time I didn't so right 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 yeah um, so with that <laughs> um, <laughs> I I was adopted. Uh, at three days old, my birth mother wow. was a member of the church, and she was uh, 16 years old when she oh, had wow. me. And I was um, I was adopted, yeah, through LDS Social Services. My birth parents were really young. They were in high school. They loved each other. Um, and at that time, you know, with my birth mother being Black, you know, and hearing her experiences... Um, she kind of experienced a lot of kind of hurtful things with church leadership. I remember yeah. um, just talking to her, um, well, kind of spoiler, because I've reconnected with my birth parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, 
she she experienced a lot of um kind of kind of prejudice towards her i mean i know there have been other people you know young kids having having babies when they're young and Mm -hmm. uh i remember her telling me that um she was in a council like the, she had to meet with the high council, oh, yeah, disciplinary yeah, council. Yeah. yeah and they were like threatening like legit th- threatening to like excommunicate her for having a kid and stuff it's 16 Man. is crazy that's At why yeah, it's 16. Like, on top of all of the things you're dealing with with having a kid right just having you know people do that to you has got to mm-hmm. be really rough so yeah, that's um, that's definitely very traumatic. I've been in a disciplinary council before, and I didn't enjoy it. So I, I can't imagine. Yeah. It wasn't even for, like, I wasn't threatened with excommunication. So I can't even imagine mm. going through that at 16. They can't catch me. I'm running. <laughs> <laughs> you got to sit me I'll, down. I'm gone. <laughs> find me first. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was, uh, it was in Southern California. Um, she was living there at the time. And... Um, yeah, my mother and my father, uh, they weren't really expecting me because they, they had already adopted my brother, who's about 20 months older than I am. Um, and he's mixed as well. Um, and they, I guess, uh, they had their names kind of like on a list still. Um, and they, they weren't really, they weren't kind of like expecting another kid. But then, you know, my birth mother is the one who picked my parents to raise me. And so um, they got a call saying, hey, we have this kid for you. And, um, you know, we'd we'd love you to come and see him and stuff. And so uh, my mother was the one who picked me up and and brought me home, which was really cool. So, um, but, uh, and then growing up, uh, you know, it was myself, my mother, my father, and my older brother. And my brother's mixed, uh, but he's a lot lighter skin than I am. I I got the the color, you know. I got the melanin mostly. <laughs> 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 and uh, you know, growing up with that, it was uh, it was really challenging for me personally. Um, I would look at myself, and I knew early on that yo, you're definitely different from your family you know you don't look anything like them but yeah, that was going to be one of my first questions actually is like kind of when did you know that you were different so yeah mm-hmm. definitely Man, i was i as like young i'd say maybe four wow yeah wow, okay. and i would i would ask my mom like how come i look different than you and mm-hmm. like i was just i was just really confused what and my would mother would always, you, oh sorry i was gonna ask what would she say when you would ask like at age four why do I look different? I feel these things. Like, how would that conversation look? Yeah. So, like, it was, um, my mom was really open about it. My parents, I would, I should say, my parents were very open about it. And they would say, you know, like, you were adopted. And they would explain it to me. Like, you know, you were brought into this world from different people. Um, and they, you know, they weren't able to raise you. So they wanted to, you know, mm. give you to us so that you, like, we can raise you. They mm. didn't give you away because they didn't love you. You know, it's not like they didn't oh, wow. want you. You were <laughs> always wanted. And, you know, you're our son now. And my mom always promised me growing up, she was like, you know, because I wanted to find him. I was like, I need to know who these people are. Like, I, yeah. need, to, I need to, you know, see myself and somebody else because yeah my whole life i've 
mm. like really struggled with my identity. And mm. um, my mom would always tell me, you know, like once you're old enough and after you serve a mission, I would be more than happy to, you know, help you uh, find your birth parents because my adoption was a closed adoption. So I didn't yeah. get all of the information of who my birth parents were and all that stuff. Right. Wow. And how you kind of mentioned it um, the, about the identity, but like, how was it connecting to like black culture, like as a transracial adoptee, how did that look for you? And like, how's that process been for you? It didn't, man. <laughs> <laughs> frankly, frankly, oh, it was not popping. Okay. So, yeah. uh, so my brother, he's half, right? He fully embraced it. And honestly, mm. like, I feel like growing up, we kind of we kind of bash on it a little bit. Um, but I think that deep down, I was secretly jealous mm. um, of him being able to embrace, you know, his his black culture and stuff. And I just I just couldn't do it because, you know, for me, all of the black, you know, culture or not even culture but like you know the the black people that i would see growing up would be in the news mm -hmm. mostly i mean in the town that i grew up it was it was mostly hispanic latino community so mm -hmm. very few uh very few people in the black community out there mm -hmm. even still to this day is there's not really that many in the town that i grew up in um but you know i'd turn on the tv or the news and i would see you know here's an armed robber and like they would show his mugshot or like a, a picture of, um, you know, this black man, you know, yeah. he's mm -hmm. the burglar, he's the criminal, like, let's get him. Or in shows, it'd be like, oh, he's the gangster. He's the urban right. one, you know? Right. And growing up, being in my family, being told every day, like, you're our son, we love you. Mm -hmm. And seeing myself in the mirror, I would see, you know, the faces of the burglar, or right. the criminal, right. you know, and stuff like that. And I, 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 it got so bad that I like didn't want to be black, mm. and like I didn't consider myself black. Like I thought it was a mistake. Right. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah. And, and that's uh, it, and it got so bad. I remember when I was a kid. I'd say I'm maybe in like I was like eight or nine or maybe ten. I remember just being so upset about it. And I remember looking in the mirror, sobbing, because I hated what I saw. Mm. And I remember grabbing a washcloth, oh. putting a bunch of soap on it, and started to just rub my skin to try and make it white. Mm. And uh, I, you know, got even more frustrated because nothing was happening. And I was just, right. you know, praying to God, like, why'd you make me this way? Like, I don't look like my family. And mm. uh, it was really mm. difficult. In those younger years, definitely. Right. Yeah, for right, sure, right. for sure. And like, were there were there outside uh, outside influences that kind of added to that? Like you mentioned, um, you see a lot of the black people that you saw were on the news. Um, were there experiences that you had with with like family members or at school or mm -hmm. with friends that kind of added to that that uh, conflict of identity? A couple times. I mean, I, I remember growing up. There was this guy. Um, who would come over to our house and uh, and he was he was a uh, he was black and he was really fun and cool, but I was way too young to kind of connect mm. to him in any way. Yeah. But you know, I feel like the a lot of the influences that I had growing up of 
of black people in the community that I was introduced to, um, I didn't really want to connect with them, if mm. that makes sense. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. in in my head, this is gonna sound bad, but like in my head, I just I was black just on the outside. Like mm. I wasn't yeah. black on the yeah. inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and I would even call, I mean, I would call myself an Oreo and like, right. you know, to my friends and everybody knew like, oh yeah, Josh, he's an Oreo. You know, he just looks black, but he's, he's basically white, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we would all joke around and stuff like that. But like, yeah. you know, looking back now, like that, like thinking that way is, has really yeah. number on me, man. Like, I, I, imagine. Stuff like that is just, yeah. And it's just me doing that. It was. I feel like me separating myself from who I was, you know, yeah. and yeah. me trying to kind of cope with it in a comedic way. And yeah. it got so bad that, yeah, I would kind of play my, my blackness as like a joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I've, I've been there for sure. I've talked about it before where like, I tried to make myself into like the palatable black guy, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, and he's easy to be around because he doesn't mind the racist jokes and this and that. So it's, it's probably a little bit different, but I would imagine a lot of black people who would hear this mm-hmm. or even just people of color who have been in environments where there's a lot of whiteness around them. I would imagine they probably have a very um, like similar experience in some ways. Yeah, it was it was really it was really hard. You know, I I'm I'm a people pleaser naturally. So that doesn't help either because. <laughs> uh, yeah. I just, you know, I go with the flow. I would just go with the flow and not raise conflict in order to keep the peace at all costs. Right. Okay, and so, yeah. yeah, when stuff would happen, when when people would say, um, you know, people would just touch my hair randomly. Or mm-hmm. when people would say, oh, my gosh, like, your lips are big, you know, and like stuff like, okay. you know, I would just be like, I, yeah, it is big. Isn't it funny? Ha ha ha. You yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Um, which that's a wildly out of pocket this thing to say to, to anybody. Like I guess now yeah. we're a little bit more correct than we used to be, but never in my life would I go up to somebody and be like, "Wow, you're such and such is like your nose is huge or your right. lips are big." Like right out of pocket. Why would you do that? And you got large pocket, ears. Yeah. Okay, so I don't know what to tell you. Right. It just seems like a lot oh, of right. <laughs> a lot of a lot of kids like white kids just have like this this feeling like with especially when it comes to dealing with black people, there's like this license to just like do or say whatever they want and i you know i've heard other stories uh, of similar things where it's like you just grab somebody's hair or you just infringe on their personal space um you, you know as a black person or as a white person to a black person that's just a very interesting uh like mindset to be in like that mindset mindset of mm-hmm. i can just do whatever i want or say whatever yeah it's and you know what it's not just it's not just like white kids it's also adults i mean yeah yeah for uh-huh. sure and it's it's not it's it's still going on. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can say full honesty, like on Sunday, uh, was it last Sunday? Yeah, I was teaching elders quorum on Sunday. I was teaching elders quorum, uh-huh. and uh, I was writing on the board, and I had my hair pulled back because it's at this awkward length where it gets in my eyes sometimes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I I like just pulled the top back part, so it was kind of mm-hmm. like you know up like this a little bit, mm-hmm. and. Uh, as I was riding on the board, someone in Elder's Quorum was like, wow, look at that head of hair. And then everybody was like chuckling. And I was like, is this really happening? Mm. <laughs> and they were like, they were like, 
I mean, they're probably jealous because they're, you know, half of them are bald or whatever, but. It's like, yeah, it's like, are we really that yeah. insensitive and disconnected to like, we can yeah. just mm-hmm. say stuff like that and not expect anything to, mm. you know, to, to get away with it? Like, mm-hmm. people need to understand that, you know, their words really matter. And right. Yeah, it's, it's, I was just appalled, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's still going on today. So, and let me ask you a question. Um, how you know? Obviously, we talked about how when you were a child and and when you're young, the things that you kind of like internalized about your own self and your blackness and your identity. How has kind of um, that affected you to the day? As mm. you know, a, a ripe thirty year old slash. How have you kind of mm, like taken that? Worked. <laughs> he mentioned that before, right? <laughs> so now he's a ripe thirty year old forever. <laughs> but how have you kind of like destigmatized that for yourself? You know coming to your age now versus when you were a child yeah what's the deconstruction look yeah like? how's that look? you know it's been it's been ongoing and it it started um when i moved away from from home <laughs> mm. uh, and it's been so it's been about uh a little over 10 years of just slowly going at it and in more, most recent years it's really picked up a lot um it's been you know getting out away from uh from my hometown away from you know my family and just being on my own and just being left to be myself Mm -hmm. uh and also to meet people from around the world and you know meet you know fellow black people i guess you know everywhere like it's been it's been you know being able to see people from all walks of life and to you know live around the world in different places and also just to be able to like sit with myself um and see you know different aspects of myself and and other people and especially in in black people i mean you know you see this flag of bob marley up here yeah i saw this guy this guy was my hero you know um i remember growing up i got a bob marley cd when i was like 14 (laughs) <laughs> for christmas i've never heard reggae before ever in my life and someone gave me a bob marley cd and i was like who is this like i've seen this guy everywhere but i don't know who he is and i kind of shied away from him because you know he was he was black and i didn't want to connect with that you know i just mm-hmm. wanted to keep with my toby keith i wanted to keep with my country music with my <laughs> my with my yellow card you know pop punk <laughs> bands. And I, you know, I wanted to keep that. And someone, you know, someone showed me Bob Marley and I listened to his music and, you know, seeing a mixed race, you know, black man, you know, singing songs about unity and singing songs about love and about, you know, the Bible and, you know, biblical verses and all of his music. It was really, and seeing him just comfortable with who he is, you know, his hair, it's all natural, you know, he's just, so happy in his skin and he was just so happy to be him like he really helped me to accept myself and accept my blackness definitely Mm -hmm. interesting that's cool so in that process of 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 learning to accept your blackness um and just kind of becoming more you what were some ways like growing up that you felt invalidated yeah um, in that experience you know like when when we had posted that clip on on instagram you said this this feels too familiar to me so like kind of share a little bit with, with us about like times that you maybe felt invalidated or felt discouraged from from seeking out um, aspects of your culture mm-hmm. yeah um i'm gonna talk about 
Let's see. So you want the tea? I wanted to ask it's a lot. It's a lot. You know, I mean, there was uh, well, this this was kind of this was kind of weird. So there was one day, um, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna. I want. I want to like really embrace like my blackness. And with my sort of whitewashed brain, I I I put on <laughs> I put on like a white tea. And I put on a two rag and I was totally on incorrectly. And I like, I sacked my shorts down and I, I remember going in my room and I remember like turning on the hip hop station and I was like, yeah, I can do this. And then I, I only did it for like two seconds and I was like, you know, what? this is really hard for me to do. Mm. A very incorrect way to... <laughs> you know yeah like, but it was all the stereotypes like, though, like, you know but like, it yeah was, it was what you knew yeah mm-hmm. it was exactly what i knew it was exactly what i knew um and also you know growing up too in in my home and in my community it was all of the off-colored just random jokes that would happen mm-hmm. that was like a reminder of and it's like to me stuff like this would happen and it would be like oh like they see me as black, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, I remember one time um, I was, uh, I was passing the sacrament and um, I had since discovered Bob Marley. So I started growing out my hair. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it used to be a fro, but then I, I used to just like not pick it out and I would just let my natural curl pattern form. Okay. Um, and it got really big at the at the time. It was like really out to here, and so I was passing the sacrament with this big fro, you know. And um, I remember a member of uh, the bishopric uh, pulled me aside one time, and he was like, "Hey, like, how's it going? Like, good to see you." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm doing good. Everything's great." And he was like, "Hey, so, um, you know, everything's good with you. I just wanted to say, you know, I love your hair. It looks really great." Um, but I noticed that, you know, when you're passing the sacrament and, you know, your hair starts to, you know, kind of wobble and bob and stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because my hair's long. <laughs> and uh, and then he said, you know, I know that if we were in maybe Jamaica or like in the tropics, oh, no. it, would to- it would be totally OK. No, that's correct. I know that to some of the members, it could be a little distracting from mm. them, you know to feel the spirit just watching your hair bob so maybe you can you know right because take hair care of your hair a little bit i'm sorry but if you can't feel the spirit because you see somebody's hair wobbling right like you you're in the wrong church maybe you like, never felt the fear, spirit in the first place right. like if that's yeah. all it takes for you to not feel because listen i done sat through some crazy sacrament meetings it felt <laughs> i've seen some i've seen a lot of white people busted okay right so if the spirit wasn't there they wasn't there for that that's crazy your hair wobbling was enough yeah Yeah. and you know me i was i was i was getting that stuff all the time i was just always getting course correction from mostly white people you know right yeah and i so i was like okay totally fine so the next day i just shaved my head oh Oh. my gosh that's painful yeah yeah so uh i mean you know growing up i i would always kind of like shave my head Right. all the time because i would just get right. sick of my hair but like i remember this time it was different because i was like yeah. i don't want to i don't want to affect people's spirituality during the sacraments the most important part of the meeting you know it's like right. 
I got to do my part to make mm-hmm. sure that everybody else is comfortable. That's great. Yeah, that's you, wild. It, really you got quick, it, you, got it, you got it. To kind of to to explain that a little bit more. Like first of all, there's like the racial aspect of that, which is you know that Bishop made you feel like something that was natural mm-hmm. to you was a bad thing to the point where you wanted to shave it. But on top of that, like for black people, hair is a sacred thing. Like you look at Bob yeah. Marley, like his hair was a part of him. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the whole barbershop experience, like I didn't grow up going to barbershop at all. Like my dad just made me cut my hair. Like I always had a shaved head. That's why I got these locks now. Yeah, um, me too. It's like a sacred experience. <laughs> like growing locks is, that's a sacred experience. For black women, it's even more so. Like for black men, we got the barbershop. We got our hair care routines. You see Sebastian over here with curls, right? Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, for black women, it's a whole other experience where like the way that they take care of the hair and protect it or they'll, they'll you know, do a big chop or like they'll, you know, there's this, this uh, movement towards uh, more natural hair patterns and like, all these different kinds of things. But like hair for black people is a very sacred thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it yeah. grows toward the sun, like naturally. That's what our mm-hmm. hair does. It grows directly toward the sun. So, yeah, for him, for him to see your natural hair and oh, just yeah. be like, oh, no, this is distracting. This is uh, this is the driving the spirit of God away like. That's why that's a very yeah. problematic thought process to have. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I was just going to ask. Um, I would imagine so, but I just wanted you to talk about it a little bit. But were there moments that you can remember where you had like there was a racist comment made joke made to you while your family was with you um, and nobody was there to defend you? Right. Like as a child, I don't think you should defend yourself necessarily or have to defend yourself. Mm. But was there kind of a moment like that where you felt like dang, I have nobody here to defend me. Uh yeah. Um, it's it's actually come from family members. Mm. Um I I remember, you know, and it's like it's just like it's it's little things that they they just happened. All right. And I I was in this mindset i didn't really understand i I didn't get a proper explanation of half the jokes that were going on you know a lot of times they don't sink in until you're older exactly like looking back i mean even like this this year it clicked like some of the stuff that happened like i remember Mm -hmm. i remember you know say um one of my family members uh you know i would because i was like really skinny as a Mm -hmm. kid there would be this pose that I would they would be like okay do your Ethiopian poster child pose oh, and I would like what? you know just like suck in my stomach and, like, oh my, my ribs that's crazy. and it was like it was like a like a joke that would happen yeah from like family members doing that stuff and it was like oh ha 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 so funny or like okay like right now oh. uh we're gonna when you when you see this family member don't just say yes family members say Yes, family member Massa, sir. Oh my god. Oh what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, oh my yeah. God. That's crazy. And and oh, honestly, man. like <laughs> looking back on on these things, I know that they didn't mean ill, but like they also didn't consider like what that would do to me mm-hmm. yeah you know that's that's i that's, mean oh, that's bad at best that's borderline malicious like at best yeah. definitely a hundred percent that's hard really that's hard. yeah it's hard too because yeah. when you're a kid um and it's like your older family i have it's like i'm biracial right so i have i got white family mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they're from texas um 
so and I don't talk to most of them, so they're interesting. Mm. Anyway, so I, I hear you with like you know, hear you. So it's it's interesting though because when you're a kid, right? It's like your your natural reaction. I feel like at least for me, and I can imagine for you as well. Kind of what you're talking about is like you you laugh things off. Yeah. Whether about race or whatever it's about, they're like, oh, you're getting a little fat. And you're like, ha, ha, ha. And you go cry in your room. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the same idea, though. It's like, but in those moments, like, what else does a 15-year-old kid do when your uncle or aunt or whoever family member is like, do your Ethiopian pose? Mm-hmm. Like, you're supposed to be my protector, right? Like, you're supposed mm-hmm. to have my best interest in mind. Mm-hmm. And so you lead with that kind of hope. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that's just... And, and when it wow. comes to family, you always want to assume the best. Like you, right. you would, yeah. you would never uh, automatically assume that a family member means you harm. So for them to say something like that, mm-hmm. it creates like a duality inside yourself because it's like, okay, well, this person is supposed to love me, but right. they're saying things like this, and you know, in the moment, it's like, oh, I don't, you know, it, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel right, but I'm just gonna go with it, you know, because these people love me. Sentiment. That that was the exact sentiment. Every every time I do the pose, every time I flare my lips out every time I would, you know, say, yes, family member, master, sir. It was like, I didn't know because I wasn't, it wasn't explained, but like, it was like, hey, do it. It's funny. Do it. And so I do it and they were laughing, but I I just didn't understand. Yeah. And and they were laughing at you, not with you. Right. Yeah. Because, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I was laughing with them on the outside. Right. But like, on the inside, I was like, man, I still don't understand what is so funny. And I and the yeah. last thing mm. I would think of was like, this isn't mm. racist, you know, because it's my mm. family. Right. You know, I I right. I love them, they love me. It it can't be, it can't be yeah. malicious. So man. that's yeah. <laughs> stuff wow. like this and stuff like that. It's like people just need to understand that adoption transracial adoption is hard enough mm. yeah on its own for the parents as mm. well for the kids and for you know in the whole family it's 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 not easy you know yeah. you're you're dealing with you know you're dealing with issues and things that people don't necessarily really take into account and you know my parents that they didn't know like they and my family members they didn't know like they they were growing they were just trying their best in a way, but you know, it's just, I just, my hope is that, you know, someone can hear this and, mm-hmm. you know, to people who unfortunately do have a connection with stories like these growing up, I hope that yeah. they can, you know, listen and say, you know what, this isn't okay. And I have a right to not feel comfortable with this and, you know, mm-hmm. or even to like, you know, talk to your family members about it and, uh, maybe have some healing go on so see a therapist about it that's what i'm currently doing so have you have you talked to your family like have you talked to them or have they recognized it at all your parents other family members like recognize their kind of role in those in those stories and that pain have they educated themselves like how has that looked like for you so uh yeah 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 so i recently talked to my brother he's out in utah um and we had a we just had to talk about some of the stuff that went down growing up that we weren't okay with Mm -hmm. um but uh some of my other family members um i have i have with a few um but there's still some that i would like to have a conversation about um sometimes i remember a few conversations didn't go as well or they went well but then there was some sort of falling out 
Mm. Um, but I know that, you know, there's, there's definitely still some healing left to be done, not just for me as, you know, as I guess I would say, you know, the victim in this scenario, for sure. Um, but also for them to, to recognize that, you know, even though stuff like that, even though things like that were said, situations like that happened, like you can recognize, like you said, you can, you can recognize that it was a bad thing and you can course correct and you can, you know, do better. Yeah. Hmm. And so, so ideally, um, you kind of, you mentioned your family and your parents, ideally, when when a family adopts a child from another race ideally mm-hmm. you would want it uh, you would want those parents to to kind of know what they're getting into but mm-hmm. i feel like one thing that i've run into a lot um you know because when i first got to utah i had never really seen a transracial adoptive family until i moved to utah mm-hmm. and i remember thinking mm-hmm. well you know like these black kids are really in difficult spaces um because you know it, it's clear that they don't really fit in but they're they're trying to fit in it but it's creating a lot of harm it's causing a lot of harm mm-hmm. so ideally you would want parents who adopt a child of another race especially black to kind of know what they're getting into to know how to talk to their child to know how to teach their child what they need to know and it sounds like your parents did a good job of 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 you know talking to you about how you were adopted um how your 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 biological family still loved you but they just weren't in a position to raise you but when it came to uh to mitigating racial trauma or, or preventing racial harm. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like maybe there just wasn't the knowledge on how to do that or the awareness to do that. So what advice would you give to, to transracial adoptive parents or to any, you know, white family that's thinking about adopting a child of another race? What advice would you give to them? That's a really good question. Um, I know for a fact that, you know, Growing up, my family wasn't perfect. I don't think any family is perfect. Right, right, right. Um, and that's not, I'm not just saying that just to like downplay like what happened. I'm just saying that like, you know, it could be the most ideal picture perfect family. There's always going to be some sort of problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I know that my parents really did my did their best. Um, also, because I was so ashamed of, you know, my outside appearance, like who I was, my blackness, I was very resistant when my parents did make efforts to try and, you know, introduce um, like black culture aspects or, you know, certain things for me. Mm. I remember specifically to one time um, my mom was talking to uh, a black mother uh, at an elementary school and she was talking about like taking care of my hair. And I remember hearing the conversation and I was like, I don't want my hair to be, you know, black Mm. hair. I Mm. want my hair to be like yours, mom. Like, I'll just wash my hair every day and, you know, (laughs) do what I need to do. And I remember my mom bought this, like this African oil for my, for my scalp. Mm -hmm. And I remember like looking at the bottle and I was like, I don't want this i i just i don't want it at all because i didn't want to you know associate with my blackness at all it yeah. was it was there was some stuff going yeah. on top man yeah. like it was pretty wild um so that's kind of a long explanation of answering the question what i would say to families of transracial adopted kids or 
parents who are looking to adopt transracially. I will say this, you know, the one thing that, that parents are really good at is loving their child. And with transracial adopted kids, you have to love them and you have to really be patient with them. And above all, like, you know, it's, it really does help to give them spaces where they can, you know, be around people who look like them. Yeah. It really does help. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you're going to adopt a child and they happen to, you know, if maybe they're Japanese or maybe they're, you know, um, Native American or Black, you know, educate yourself on Black culture, on whatever culture and whatever language uh, that they come from. Mm -hmm. And don't be afraid to, you know, introduce that to them and provide spaces where that they they can be around that because that'll it'll really really help um and and above all like be patient and like really listen to how your kids are feeling because for me there was so much going on and it's it was really hard for me to articulate my words because i didn't want to offend my parents i didn't want to offend anybody um, but there was a lot going on in my head and in my heart that I just didn't feel like I could get out. So really give space so that you can listen to your kids, um, mm. so that they can, you know, you can hear what they're needing or what they're feeling, and then you can take necessary action. And finally, just don't be racist. Like, don't, don't, don't <laughs> say, don't say racist jokes <laughs> to your kids, even if it's funny, you know, right. like that's, that's, that does so much damage and yeah. so much harm to your little kids and half yeah. the time i mean i didn't even know all of the time i didn't know what was going on right yeah mm-hmm. huh. and so i want to kind of go more into that you said don't be racist which you think would be just like simple advice don't be racist right mm-hmm. but could you go more into detail about what you mean by that mm-hmm. because i feel like a lot of people will hear this and say, oh, yes. I'm not racist. I have a black child, or I'm not racist. Right. I do this, or I, mm-hmm. I listen to Tupac, so I'm not racist. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit more what you mean by don't be racist. Right. Because I I would imagine if you went and talked to your family members, none mm-hmm. of them would say that what they were doing was racist. Telling you to call your family member Massa Sir, they'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, that's not racist. That's just a joke. Oh, I didn't mm-hmm. mean anything by it. So kind of like go into more detail yes. with that, please. Yes, yes. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. <sighs> Like poking fun at, like making jokes that highlight their their ethnical racial differences. You know, I mean, it's it's one thing. He, you know, the comedians and stuff like they've they've done that like since the dawn of comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, and you you look at Mad TV. You know, it's like some of the stuff was going on in Mad TV was like. Was pretty, it was pretty it was wild. <laughs> it was pretty wild stuff. It definitely would not air today. Um, but like you know, p- making jokes where like their differences are like the brunt of the joke, mm-hmm. that does so much harm, and that that does so much damage. You know, I've I've had so many jokes like that thrown my way from family members, from friends, from you know. Yeah, just everybody in my community and instead of getting hurt by it and offended by it i just 
maybe part of me like kind of chose to not look into it and just laugh along because it was easier instead of being like wait what do you mean Mm. like let me what do you mean uh you know ethiopian poster child what does that even mean can you explain that to me because i want to laugh too because i don't understand Mm -hmm. um yeah like and because kids kids are so pure and they're so precious and they're they're just filled with just they they just don't know these things they're not aware of these things and i feel like it's it can be heightened really in in a transracial adoption family scenario yeah. You got to really be careful with how you say things, how you talk about other races and ethnic groups. Yeah. You know, it's like, and kids, kids are sponges. Like they absorb those, absorb those things. Mm. And so it's, you gotta, you gotta just really be kind of like what, you know, Russell and Nelson said, we, we have to be the people who lead out actions of prejudice and, you know, racial, racism and doing that is you know learning about who your kid is what their ethnicity is what their culture is and protecting that for them like having them making it so that they see it in a beautiful glorious light for what it truly is not the stereotypical racist bad things that people throw around and have thrown around for forever it's like being black isn't a bad thing being yeah. Asian isn't a bad thing. You know, they, there's beautiful cultures and beautiful history there that should be amplified and, you know, taken upon ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, that, that, that's kind of what I mean. Yeah. hope that answers the question. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it definitely does. Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely does. So to kind of go along with that, for you, I know that you, you're like, you know, you're still in that journey, but mm-hmm. it, it's mm-hmm. like a constant thing. So for you, when was it that things kind of, I guess, clicked for you? Like, when did you kind of start to separate yourself from that idea of I don't want to be black or I want to make myself palatable? And like, when did you start moving into a space where you're more comfortable with your blackness? Uh, you know, I would honestly say probably BYU-Hawaii. Hmm. Being at that campus, first off, that campus, have you guys been? No. Yes. Have that campus is special. I don't care what anybody says, like, that is a magical, beautiful place. Um, being there and being around, surrounded with culture, there, at, when I was there, there was over 70 countries there in the mm-hmm. student body. So I was in class with people from all over the world. And, uh, you know, I was in environments where, you know, the minority groups in America were like highlighted and like really praised and like, you know, really put up in Hawaii, especially work. I worked at the the Polynesian Cultural Center too, which is like a, a tourist uh, kind of like Disneyland for Polynesia. I don't want to say that, but it's like, it's like a, it's a place where, you know, they showcase a lot of the culture um, yeah. of, of the Polynesian islands through song and dance and cultural de- demonstrations and luau's and stuff like that. And I had the opportunity to work there. And, you know, being able to, well, I had the privilege and the honor of working there um, and being able to, you know, represent cultures that I wasn't a part of and seeing how much pride that people took in from, you know, being Samoan or being Hawaiian or, 
or even like, you know, being Korean or being Indonesian or being, you know, Indian. It was um, really beautiful to see people just take pride in who they were. And, you know, that started to be like, oh, like maybe I could be okay with like being myself, you know, like I can definitely, you know, start to, yeah, I'm black. You know, I just thought that's just who I am. And that's not a bad thing. It's actually like, it's actually a pretty dope thing. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, I love it. And, uh, and Bob Marley definitely helped too. listening to his music. You know, he sings songs like uh, until the color of a man's skin is of no more significance than the color of his eyes. Like, you know, and mm -hmm. like, you know, keep your culture, grow your dreadlocks, don't be afraid of the wolf pack. You know, he's, he's singing a lot of stuff to empower Africans and people of the Africa diaspora. Mm -hmm. And that coupled with my experience at BYU Hawaii and being out on my own really helped me to embrace like, okay, I'm starting to feel really more comfortable in my skin mm -hmm. and I'm, and it's been really, really great. And also reconnecting with my birth family helped a lot. As well. I can imagine, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and so just wanted to ask, um, kind of on the same idea of advice, but what advice would you have for the transracial adoptees mm -hmm. that may be going through this a similar situation that you went through previously, or mm -hmm. maybe on their journey of finding their identity as well? But like kind of all in all, what would your advice be um, for them? Yeah, great question. Probably the most important question. <laughs> in this podcast yeah, um, tell, them, tell them how to survive how to right. yeah. yeah 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 you know um it's it's okay to be different you know just because you are different from your family members it doesn't mean that you're less than um it doesn't make you less of a person it doesn't make you less of a family member and even though sometimes you know in the community or hopefully not but Maybe sometimes within your own family, things will be said that target you and your differences. Um, you know, those things aren't okay. And you honestly, sh like, just, you need to just remember that God made you in their image and you are beautiful the way you are and you're perfect the way you are. And it's because of your differences that, you know, you were put on this earth and in this family is because you have something to bring and you have something to add to their lives, but also to your life as well. Mm -hmm. And don't be afraid to embrace it. You know, look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself that you love you and, you know, get a list of affirmations going and, you know, just do something that explores your identity that helps you to feel just a little bit more comfortable in your own skin every day. So that's yeah. what I would say. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Love that. Thank you for sharing. We appreciate it. I learned some good stuff today. Yeah, for sure. And we really do appreciate you coming on the podcast and, and just, you know, talking with us, sharing your experience a little bit. And man, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. It's so, I mean, I'm just learning more and more like every day, how, much blackness varies from person to person right like mm -hmm. we all have our different mm -hmm. journeys and different ways of, of like finding and we all have like our different backgrounds too so like my background i grew up in the church mm -hmm. i was very much surrounded by white people but then i also had like very like 
ultra black parents, right? Like, we're like <laughs> hyper black, like, you know, we had pictures of black his- historical figures on the wall. So for me, it was like this um, kind of being cut off from black culture, but also being immersed in it at home, but like through mm-hmm. the lens of, of the church. And then for you, you know, you've got this experience of growing up black in a white family and, you know, feeling uncomfortable with your blackness until reaching a certain point and then being able to kind of move into that. So everybody's experience is different. And I love learning about that. And I love that like social media and podcasting and all these different, uh, you know, sources give us ways to to connect with different kinds of blackness and realize that it's not just what we see on tv or what we see in the news definitely you know recently that's been my thing i'd say i'd say since 2020 honestly like as recent as that mm-hmm. it's been seeing that like you know blackness is kind of uh like there's all different facets to it you know it's like it's a beautiful kaleidoscope of like different people and different you know ways of expressing and feeling and being and seeing you know people with with their their experiences uh and being able to just kind of hold their own and still say yeah i'm black but you know i'm not i'm not like this but i'm still black that's been really liberating to me as well. Um, I've recently been in a surf group for uh, for Black people. They're out here and they're uh, they're trying to rewrite, you know, the the history of you know Black people and and mm. water and especially in surfing. And, right, that's uh, cool. It's been mm-hmm. really empowering just to you know be with them and you know serve with them i volunteer with them and just you know enjoy and just be happy being ourselves together you know having those spaces where we can just be ourselves is so special and has helped me so much so yeah i gotta ask how close are you to huntington beach i used to live in huntington beach Okay, because um, I know a black dude that lives there that's also a surfer. He's got locks too. <laughs> he's a little bit older. He's I think he's like late thirties, maybe early forties. What's his name? I don't know if I want to say it on the podcast. When the recording stops, I'll ask you about him. For you, sure, for you, sure. You may know him because I don't. You know, it's not too mm-hmm. many black dudes with locks that surf. Oh, right. Yeah, that yeah. Cool. I look him up online. I, I probably, I probably, I think I know who you're talking about because I, okay. I used to volunteer with. Um, <laughs> with the surf school out there and they primarily do they do help people in the black community to surf uh in Huntington beach and um uh but yeah and the, like there's there's and it's been so cool to like discover that like there's so many different clubs of like mm-hmm. you know yeah. things that people do mm-hmm. but we're doing it you know together in our community yeah. and you know being like i said kind of broken record me um being in those spaces has brought so much healing Mm -hmm. and so much joy. And a recent quote that I've been seeing that just really gets me in my feels is like, we are living our ancestors' wildest dreams Mm -hmm. when we're together, when we're expressing and just being joyful, whether we're surfing or knitting Mm -hmm. or, you know, dancing on the dance Listen to the yellow card, shoot. Listen to the yellow card (laughs) together, dude. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. So. Hey, love that, man. Well, yeah, thank you, Josh, for sharing your experience. We mm-hmm. appreciate it. Thank you for teaching us and teaching sure. our listeners. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to, to getting your episode out there. Yeah. We're going to close it out with our uh, with our recommendations for the week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go first. 
and then yeah just recommend something that you enjoy something that you know you've done recently whatever it is um but i got a couple of recommendations this week because the camera on myself a couple of recommendations right, a couple of recommendations hold on what, first recommendation doing? i don't even know if it's still valid right but over the weekend i uh i went to mcdonald's late at night because it was the only thing that was open it was like 1 a.m hmm. and i see i saw on the billboard that they had an advertisement for grimace's birthday Oh, I don't really know a lot about Grimace. He was like an old McDonald's mascot. Or yeah, man, I remember Grimace. And they had a birthday. They had a birthday shake for Grimace. And it was like a purple shake. And I tried that thing. And I swear to you, that was the best shake I've had in a long time. It was just I don't know what was in it. It basically tasted like they took like Captain Crunch, like fruit crunch. What was it called? The, the fruit? Fruit Loops? No, no, no. Like it's Cap- Captain the crunch. Captain Crunch. Very crunch. Oh, yeah, it t- yeah. It tastes like they took Captain yeah, Crunch, yeah, Berry yeah, yeah. Crunch. And encapsulated it in in an ice cream shake, and it was delicious. Mm. So I don't know okay. how long of a time that was for. Okay. It might have been a limited time only thing, but if you if you can go to McDonald's and get you a Grimace shake, that thing was delicious. Mm. Secondly, okay. I just finished. I've watched it before, but I just finished binging Avatar: The Last Airbender again. Mm. Highly recommend that show. It's on Netflix right now. Mm. Um, I think, in my opinion, that's one of like the greatest like cartoon character arc shows out there at least american made I, you know I'm, i know there's some really good anime that got great stuff going on but american made cartoons I, I say that's probably one of the best ones i i have watched personally so mm. avatar the last airbender check that out it's on netflix those are my two recommendations for the week okay. sebastian what you all right got? okay i was trying to think out what mine would be but i i have one my whole life i was not a fan of golf whole life i just mm. this wasn't for me it's very slow like 18 holes a day. It's a lot of days. Anyway, it just was never for me. I never connected. Um, besides besides my dad's love for Tiger Woods, that's the only thing that I was connected to. Mm-hmm. But this last weekend, I was recommended to watch the Netflix show Full Swing. Mm. Phenomenal, bro. Mm. I'm a golf fan. <laughs> I, just I, like I, that. I follow PGA on Instagram, PGA Tour on Instagram. I just felt like, like that. now, just like that. The, the the series did it to, for me. I'm a fan. Full swing. Wow. I mean, you're right. Like I started looking up stats. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, let me look at this. Tiger Woods. Let me tell you one stat real quick. And this, I'm telling you, it's gonna put you on golf. So all these golfers, I didn't know this until this weekend. But golfers are are rated like ranked in the world, right? Like there's a number one best golfer right now in the world, and it'll change, right? Like depending on how they're playing, right? Tiger Woods was the number one ranked golfer for five years straight. 281 wow. weeks. The That's person crazy. closest to him was only ranked 96 weeks the number one golfer. That's wow. wild. Isn't it three times the time limit? That's number one. wild. That's I'm a golf fan, bro, and Tiger's the GOAT. <laughs> okay, he's done bro. some controversial stuff, but he's still a GOAT. Yeah, I mean, okay, what, what did he do that was controversial besides like, just cheating on his wife? Yeah, yeah that, <laughs> like that's the most controversial. I mean, I think, they would I think that he's think that, like he murdered somebody. No, the way but that why they was he villainized? Right. I thought he like killed somebody, bro. Right? Like, yes, you should. You bad. should not cheat right. on your wife. Sure. However, it was with they, a lot of women, if I remember correctly. I don't he was in the screens, huh? Probably, but still, like <laughs> it was the number one best golfer. I mean, they acted like he was the only athlete to ever cheat, right? Like in like, you know, come on. I remember you being on the news, like on ESPN, no, on CNN, everything. on Fox, yeah. on MSNBC. Like I remember, and I could, I was eight o'clock old. news, right? It was everywhere. Like they kept it showing really him was. like drop pulling out of his driveway. Then he like crashes SUV or something. Bro, that was it. Was bad. Like, it was a, it was a, yeah. 
So I say controversial. I feel like because in that time it was so bad. Yeah. Now, like, who hasn't cheated practically that's mm-hmm. famous? Besides I mean, LeBron. It. Right. We have black it. men don't cheat. Right. 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 <laughs> but um <laughs> not Tiger, but yeah. Oh, that was for me. Right. Yes, right. Yeah, right. I was I hoping. Was... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh no, Gosh, did like, we, did yeah. we still... <laughs> I was like, oh, that's you. Touch your subjects. No, 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 I'm kidding. Oh, um, yeah, okay. But uh, so, Josh, what's your recommendation, bro? We yeah, got... yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so, um, all right. Uh, you know what? Have y'all had some coconut water recently? No, it's been a while. You know, Long if you're while. not allergic, if you're not allergic to coconuts. Drink some freaking coconut water. Mm, that okay. stuff is beautiful. It does so mm-hmm. much. And it every time I drink it, I just feel refreshed. It's mm-hmm. got natural electrolytes in it. And uh, try some coconut water. Okay. Also, since we're, we got two locked up brothers in here, if you're on the yeah. fence about getting your locks done, I say just do it. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yes, Come on get over. them locks. Come on over. Join the lock squad. <laughs> well, now we have it. Those are my recs. And coconut water with locks. Mm. Very surfer of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually. To recommend coconut water. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. That's a great way to end it. Mm-hmm. And with that, we appreciate y'all, and we will catch you next yeah. week. Bye-bye. Bye.